0: and thanks for tuning in to the Homestretch Podcast, 101 Plus Tips for Navigating Assisted Living and Nursing Homes. My name is Chad Schmidt, and here you'll discover the questions to ask from the researchers, professionals, and institutions so that you can make a more informed decision. Today we're going to sit down with Heather Gaff-Mavis, who is an EMS Program Coordinator, which is Emergency Medical Services, She's located in Texas and works for a company called RC Health Services. We're gonna talk about do not resuscitate contracts, otherwise known as a DNR. And just as a disclaimer, before you even begin listening to this episode, we're gonna be focusing our conversation on the laws that regulate in the state of Texas. But if you look closely in the description, there is a website address that you can go to to find out the specific laws and regulation in whatever state that you live in, in the US. So today in this 30 minute conversation with Heather, we're gonna talk about the different types of DNRs and how an EMT is affected by those different types of DNRs. We're also gonna talk about the legal ramifications in the state of Texas, and the injuries that can leave your loved one in worse condition before they had chest compressions hopefully you find this episode very enlightening and beneficial and it prompts you to take some action steps
1: Uh, rc health services is an ems uh, vocational school we teach um, ems uh, emt and advanced emt Uh, we're also at american heart um, education, so we teach um, BLS, we teach uh, ACLS, uh, um, and PALS, which is a Pediatric Advanced Life Support. Um, we are also getting ready to open a nursery school here soon. Uh, we're in five states, and we have 11 locations, and we're actually going into this next year expanding um, to uh, two or three other states, so we're, we're growing quickly. We're 10 years old this October, and getting bigger, faster. <laughs> so we we do quite a lot.
2: Well, that's that's great. And I'm really excited for what it is that you have to share today because I was actually dancing a few weeks ago on a Saturday night mm-hmm. and I met this girl named Justine and I was with a group of my friends and after dancing, we on Saturday night, we went over across the parking lot to this Mexican restaurant to go eat, and Justine and her friend decided to tag along. And so she was asking questions, trying to get to know me, and I told her about this podcast that I'm doing, and she goes, I'm an EMT. And I go, interesting. I've heard of this thing called the do not resuscitate, and she proceeds to tell me that there's different types of DNRs, And Mm -hmm. there's one that as a EMT, if she is presented by a family that has paperwork and it's for the hospital to do not resuscitate, and she happens to come across this individual when they are not in the hospital, she is going to resuscitate. And so I'm like, holy cow, this is really important information to share with my audience is that there's different types of dnrs and not every single one is treated equally (laughs) so i I asked her what school did you go to how did you learn this information so she she connected me with you and fortunately the owner of your company gave you permission to have this conversation (laughs) so tell me a little bit more about your background of what you used to do, because you've now transitioned into a different role because of your experience, and then we can kind of go into, like, what a DNR is and the different types yeah. that we have.
1: Well, I've been a paramedic, uh, i will be 26 years this fall, and I worked in 911 for 22 of those years, so I was actually on the ambulance, treating patients and running calls, and then I transitioned education about five years ago. Now I teach full-time and I'm a coordinator full-time with RC Health Services. What that means is I work basically with the state and with RC Health Services to help design EMS curriculum. So I work with the governor's EMS Education Committee. We go every quarter and we all put our input in and kind of help design the future of what EMS curriculum is going to be. So it's, it's actually very exciting
2: this sounds like a really important role that you play in developing the whole curriculum not just for the upcoming students but also for the laws that maybe are put in place for emts right
1: right yeah exactly so we have the gtech committee and they're the ones who actually make the decisions they meet quarterly and then coordinators in the state of texas we are allowed to voice and share our opinions so we discuss, it's basically kind of an education think tank. and We discuss what do we think, opinions on should paramedics have degrees, should they not have degrees, what direction should we think EMS should go in the next 20 to 30 years and further. Then the GTAC committee makes decisions, and then they put their decisions to the state of Texas, who then submits the stuff to the state legislation, and then this is how we get EMS laws passed or not passed, depending on what we want.
2: And I, you focus on the state of Texas, but RC right. Health Services does multiple states, you said.
1: Correct, yeah, we're in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Georgia, and Florida currently. And we're looking at three or four other states within the next year or so to go into. So we we have a pretty big reach. And each state handles this legislation differently.
2: I want to transition here and give you an opportunity to share with us the different types of DNRs that are available.
1: All right. So DNR means do not resuscitate. And that literally means that you do not want to be resuscitated. Now, you can choose different levels, like I do not want CPR. Or, I want CPR, but I don't want to be intubated, which means that you don't want a plastic tube put in your throat, in your, in your windpipe, for air to be passed in and out, so that, that you're not put on a ventilator. So there's different things you can kind of opt out for a living well, but it, a DNR really comes down to the fact that you don't want to have artificial life support past your time of death. Now, there's in-hospital and there's out-of-hospital. So if you have passed naturally and your your heart has stopped and you have stopped breathing, that you do not want to be brought back. Now, in hospital, when you go in and you are going into ER and you are being admitted, the hospitals will ask you to sign paperwork if you want to be resuscitated or not. If something were to happen, do you want to be brought back? And if you do not, then you sign their paperwork, and each hospital system will have their individual paperwork. That paperwork is only good for the time that you're in that hospital. So once you leave that hospital, that paperwork expires. So if you don't want specific measures to be taken...
2: Like to to be put on life support type of thing?
1: correct you can say I don't want to be put on life support that I don't want specific measures to be taken to extend my life then you can you can specify those things in a living well and that's a legal document and you sign that ahead of time when you are sound mind and body with a witness and then you can present this paperwork you know, or your family can present this paperwork to the hospitals because you, you have to understand, medical professionals, when you have somebody who is presented to them who is at risk or life and limb, if they don't have the legal documentation to not treat a patient, they not only legally have to treat a patient, but they don't get into this profession to not help people. Okay, they they, they are want you to saying, help people. Are
2: you saying that they did not enlist in the home study kit from Dr. Kavorkian?
1: Right, exactly. So legally, they are not only bound to help people, but but people become doctors and nurses and paramedics because they want to help people. Physicians take O's to help people. And then there's a thing that EMTs and paramedics are taught is first do no harm. So if you do not want certain things done to extend your, your life or your family member's life, if the, the patient needs to take care of these things like living wells and DNRs and have the appropriate legal documentation presented at that time of treatment so they not only they know what your wishes are, but then you will give that, that medical professional the legal opportunity to walk away they now can legally walk away and then they can personally know that okay these are your wishes I can I can be okay with this cuz most of us we want to do the right thing for the patient we want to honor your wishes but if it's a choice between honoring your wishes but legally being put into a bind where I am going to be sued or lose my license I can't make that decision. I am going to treat you if I can't legally protect myself.
0: The
2: other thing that I realized after talking with Justine is that most of the calls that she goes on are at assisted living facilities or nursing homes. And so I'm wondering if you can share what a day, what EMTs go through and experience on a day-to-day basis.
1: Okay, so the industry is called EMS, Emergency Medical Services. And an EMT is Emergency Medical Technician. We have three levels. You have an EMT, we have Advanced EMT, and then EMT Paramedic, which we generally just call paramedic. So paramedic is the highest level. And a paramedic can do basically almost the same things in many ways as an R. We're kind of between an RN and and a physician. We're not independent practitioners. But we can do many of the things that a physician can do, I administer medication, um, incubate. So we are um, a very high-level practitioner. The average day, it depends on if you're working in 911, which is ultimately what EMS was created for with the work in 911. So when you call 911 and you get a paramedic show up, this is what we all want to do. Um, what Justine's working on is private ambulance which is when you need someone who needs to be transported from the hospital back to assisted living or nursing home or from a nursing home to the hospital because they need some sort of treatment. Private ambulances take care of that need. Uh, it's not as a prestigious job but it's a very necessary job and it's also a really great entry level job for new EMTs. Because As you know, our population is getting larger and older, so we have a lot more of these situations.
2: The elder population is growing at an
1: extremely
2: rapid rate. Exactly. From research that I've done and that I've talked with other professionals, we as a society aren't really adequately prepared for the amount of care that's needed, considering that there's 10,000 people a day turning 65, and 4,000 people a day turning 85 years old.
1: Right, yeah, we're we're getting older faster. And in some ways, uh, we have better health care, so we have more elderly, and yet we have more nursing homes. So it's like it's kind of this how well are we taking care of our elderly? And we're, we're not, I don't think, I mean, me personally, I don't think we're probably doing a very good job.
2: What kind of calls do these EMTs and these paramedics primarily right. so, go on?
1: So if you're working in a private service, you're generally going back and forth to nursing homes and dialysis centers and some of these assisted living centers. So they're going to see a higher number of elderly and dialysis care centers, and they are going to need a lot more of this paperwork in place because there are odds of seeing these patients going into cardiac arrest or maybe potentially having going into respiratory arrest, which means they're going to stop breathing. Cardiac arrest means their heart has stopped and they're not breathing. A respiratory arrest means they've stopped breathing, but their heart is still pumping. So their odds are higher because obviously you have an elderly population and they're more likely to need these particular care. So anytime they transport these patients, the paperwork is going to need to go with them.
0: I want to also
2: just thank our first responders and you once again because it is a very emotionally challenging job and it requires a lot of hours that are sometimes weird and there's big safety concerns not just for the driver of the vehicle but also the people that are in the back of the truck that are taking care and so thank you so much for and thank you to all the first responders that have available to us as a society here in America I mean the job yeah. that you guys do it goes uh, in my opinion underappreciated or under recognized in many cases and I thank you so much for all that you guys do for us here in Texas and for the first responders all over the country
1: uh, I think that EMS is one of those unsung kind of careers mm-hmm so.
2: Well, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the impact that a DNR has on an EMT.
1: What would happen with whenever I made a scene is it's very common, and I'll just kind of speak from my personal experience, is families would often get the paperwork together and they would either not get it together correctly, they would either use an in hospital paperwork, DNR order, and of course once an in-hospital DNR is completed, they've been discharged from the hospital, that paperwork is no longer valid. And they would say, well, we have a DNR, but of course that's not correct, and uh, we cannot honor that. So they either have the wrong paperwork, they would have paperwork that was not completed correctly, or incomplete, they would start the process and not finish it. See, so an in, in EMT cannot honor anything that's not 100% complete and valid, or they would have it complete correctly, but they couldn't find it. They would say, oh, yeah, it's, you know, in a drawer somewhere. Okay, well, I need that paperwork presented to me in my hands. And so we would arrive on scene, and they would say, well, my family member, they, they are DNR, and we'd say, great. Where's the paperwork? And it would not be presented
2: to us. The thought and the image that's going through my head is if you have a DNR, then why did you call EMT in the first place?
1: Well, and the exactly.
2: That, and the second thought that goes through my head is how much time is passing by while this person is laying on the ground or in the bed that you're supposed to resuscitate to try and answer these questions in an emergency situation with the family members looking at you Like, what are we going to do next? How much, all this wasted time that's passing when you're supposed to be doing your job.
1: Right. So when we get into situations, we would start CPR until the paperwork was presented appropriately or not because, again, we have to default to the caring of the patient until proven otherwise because we're going to care for the patient and we're going to protect our licenses. That's that's really ultimately the two things. And um, as you can imagine, it would get extremely emotional and tense. Or we'd have situations where usually they call 911 because think about it. Think about what a habit 911 has been created for the society, which is kind of a good, bad thing. Uh, When in doubt, what do you do? You call 911. You're not sure what to do? Call 911. We've taught society to do this, which is both great and yet there are certain times when maybe you shouldn't do that. If you have decided to have your family members a DNR, hospice should be there with you or if they're not there right then, you should be contacting your hospice nurse or center and let them know that they've passed because then police will get involved, JP will get involved depending on where you're located they're, they're going to be getting involved in this situation and know that, okay, this, this is an expected death. That's okay. Uh, they have certain procedures they're going to go through. If you call 901 and you get this process started and you don't have the appropriate paperwork, it's a machine. Once the machine gets started, we have to go through our process unless you have the paperwork, which is the brakes. So, when you have the paperwork, it has to be completely filled out appropriately, has to be valid, and you have to have it.
2: So what are some of the legal ramifications that could potentially happen for an EMT or for the family that is on site?
1: So if the EMT chooses to honor the family's wishes without the appropriate paperwork, then the worst case scenario is they can lose their certification or lose their license. If the family members have presented paperwork and they decide to rescind it for some reason, they're like, okay, here's our DNR, but we decided we don't want to do the DNR. And the paramedic decides to honor the DNR, even though it's been verbally rescinded, then that can also become a legal problem later. Because in Texas, VNR orders that are valid can be verbally rescinded at any time. So you have to kind of understand, even though the patient wants to not be resuscitated, if the patient has passed and you do not resuscitate them, the family members are still alive. They can sue you. We're not worried about the patient at this point for legal purposes. We're worried about the family. So as much as me personally... I would want to honor the patient wishes. At this point, now legally, I have to worry about the family. So when you do a DNR order and the family member recipe is the DNR order, you kind of really want to make sure all the family is on board with this. Because I have made scenes when we have valid DNR orders and at the last minute the patient has passed and all the family members are there, and somebody at the last minute decides they just can't handle it. They don't want to go through with it, and they call us. And they verbally rescinded it. And I can I I can tell you, it's an extremely emotional scene for everybody. The hospice nurse is there. She's, like, looking at me like, I, what can I do? And we have to transport this patient who... Is has passed they're physically you know they're not coming back you can look at them and you're like yeah they've got terminal cancer but this other family members decided that nope emotionally they don't want to do this they don't want to go through with it and, and legally you have to transport them and, and go through the process so you really want to make sure everybody's on board with this
2: you're kind of like handcuffed at that point
1: yes Yeah. it's not a fun scene to work SO YOU HAVE TO UNDERSTAND THERE'S A LOT OF LEGAL THINGS TO GO THROUGH WITH THIS. SO ULTIMATELY, YOU'RE NOT JUST TREATING THE PATIENT. LEGALLY, YOU'RE TREATING THE ENTIRE FAMILY. AND THIS IS NOT AN ARGUMENT THE EMTs WANT TO HAVE ON SCENE. NOW, AS A YOUNG PARAMEDIC, I STARTED TO KIND OF DO THAT AND GO LIKE, WELL, LET ME EXPLAIN HOW THIS WORKS. AND WHAT I LEARNED IS YOU DON'T WANT TO DO THAT. YOU DON'T WANT TO HAVE THAT FIGHT ON SCENE, THE FAMILY MEMBERS they've just lost a loved one, they're emotional, they're not going to hear anything you have to say. It's best to just sadly take that patient with you, take them to the hospital, and deal with it at the hospital where it's it's more controlled and you can just be done with it because you're, you're going to lose that battle.
2: So we're really kind of talking about three different things here. We're talking about the legal ramifications. We're talking about the problems with implementing the DNR that was submitted or that's available, whether that's the paperwork that's accurate or the paperwork that's inaccurate. And we're kind of talking about conflicts that occur on scene. So yeah. is what else do you think is important for the listeners to know about this section of this episode about how the DNR impacts an EMT. I
1: would, I would say if their family member or they themselves decide to do DNR order, I would say take full advantage of the hospice counseling, um, any hospice information they can get to be fully prepared for the entire process. Um, a lot of people get into it and they're like, okay, paper, 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 because they don't really understand kind of what they're getting into. It can happen very quickly over a few days. It could take time, several weeks, depending on the medical condition. And be fully prepared as best you can. So if they offer counseling, take advantage of it because you need to understand that when you get down to that moment and your family member's passed or you're getting ready to pass, it's going to be a big deal and you need to be ready to deal with that. And especially if it's your family member and you're the one... LEFT DEALING WITH ALL THE LEGAL STUFF, BE READY TO ACCEPT THAT THERE IS A LOT GOING ON AND WHATEVER YOU THINK IS GOING TO HAPPEN IS GOING TO BE NOTHING LIKE YOU'VE EVER EXPERIENCED. AND I'VE NOT, WELL, MY GRANDMOTHER PASSED AND SHE WAS IN HOSPICE AND I WAS THERE FOR MY MOTHER SO I DEALT WITH IT IN THAT REGARD and I saw my mom dealing with it, and I told her from the paramedic perspective, saying, look, there's so much you don't even know how to deal with this, and just be ready. And she was like, no, I'll be fine. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not going to be fine. You're going to need all your siblings around you. And she didn't really believe me, and I just made the situation happen for her, and after she was telling me that, you're, you're right, I needed all that help. So I haven't dealt with it for me personally yet, but I've dealt with it with my family, and as a paramedic, I just tell people that, you are going to need far more help than you think you will because when your family member passes or you're at the very end, just get as many people that you feel like you're going to need involved in the counseling because it's, it's a big deal.
2: There's two things that I want to cover next. The first is that in the instance of somebody that is older, and they don't have as strong and healthy of a body. Their bones are brittle. Their muscle structure is compromised. If you resuscitate, there are some injuries that can occur that might leave that person in worse condition than prior to being resuscitated. So can you talk
1: about that? Yeah, absolutely. So CPR is a very aggressive procedure. We do compressions on the lower half of the sternum. And you're, for an adult, you're supposed to compress it like two to up to two and a half inches into the chest in order to make compressions even effective. When you're younger, the, the bones, younger 20s, 30s, even into the 40s, the bones are more flexible. And especially in the 20s, the bones have more cartilage. But as you get older, bones continue to harden and are more brittle. So when you actually get older and we compress, the bones tend to break a little easier. Mm -hmm. And you'll actually have more likelihood of either breaking the sternum off of the rib cage or actually breaking the the ribs themselves. Now, this is a normal side effect of CPR. This has been known for many, many years. In fact, one of the first paramedics back in late 60s, early 70s, his name escapes me now. He's known as the father of EMS, and I'll probably remember his name later. But um, he actually was a paramedic and a lawyer. And one of the first lawsuits on to EMS was about a guy who was resuscitated, and he was suing because his ribs were broken. And he lost because they determined that this is a normal side effect of, the, of compressions. Uh, Jim Page is his name.
2: Well, the last thing that I want to go into is how can we, as an audience and as a community, make the life of an EMT <laughs> a little easier?
1: Well, so if you have a, for, for Texas, if you have a valid DNR paperwork executed. Now once the originals c- complete you can make copies the copies are valid so you can make several copies to give them all the family members and put them all over the house if you want to make it really easy you don't have to it doesn't have to be the original you can also order bracelets or devices to wear so EMS knows that if you have like a DNR bracelet the only way to get that approved jewelry is if you have the paperwork filled out correctly
2: And so an EMT is trained to look for these identifiers prior to taking action.
1: Yeah, one of the things we are trained to do is look over the patient for any kind of, like, diabetic identifiers, DNR, just identification jewelry in general.
2: It has to be a piece of jewelry. It can't be somebody decided to go get a tattoo to have this symbol. Right, correct.
1: Correct, yeah. We don't accept tattoos. Like, you know, Do not resist a tattoo in your chest is not acceptable.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: We would probably find that funny, but, uh, <laughs> but we would not honor that.
2: What tips might you have that you either want to reinforce or that you haven't mentioned
1: for somebody that's listening? Well, I would say, one, when you get into any kind of hospice, don't be afraid to ask questions there's a lot of good resources hospice nurses are probably i I would say for me personally I feel that they're some of the best nurses out there they're so absolutely caring so take advantage of the resources they offer you and don't be afraid to ask questions of them because they are just amazing with the care they provide
2: for listeners that are new we just Did a recording. I released it last night. I had a conversation with a hospice providing company where we went into a lot of details. And towards the end of the episode, we talked about questions that you can ask during an interview process Mm
1: -hmm.
2: on how to go about selecting a provider before making a purchase or a buying decision. Because there's a lot of people that are needing care particularly the elderly and there are not always but there are some people that get into the business for the wrong reasons because there's oh, yeah. a lot of mo- there's a lot of money to be made oh yeah and so yeah. we had this conversation with her name is Erica and we had about a 30-minute conversation, so I encourage the listeners to tune in to that episode. But it added a year and a half to my grandmother's life. We thought and assumed that hospice was a death sentence and she had six months to live. But a hospice nurse and the attention, the care, mm-hmm. the support that is provided extends the life so that you as family members can have a few more moments and create a few more memories that hopefully are positive with the time that you have left with your loved ones.
1: It's about palliative care. People don't understand it's about palliative care, care, which is about easing the transition, not speeding the transition up. One of the things I learned as a medic going into a lot of these locations is when you're going to pick a location for yourself or uh, your loved one for assisted living or nursing home or any, any of those levels of cares, the one thing that will tell you everything that you need to know about that location is when you first walk in the door, what does it smell like? That's it. <laughs> that's, that's, that will answer Everything, you can answer, you can go and, and ask all the questions you want and take a tour, but the smell will tell you everything you need to know, right there.
2: And I have that same <laughs> response, because my other grandmother that passed away many years ago, I remember that smell, and I remember every time my dad said, we're going to see grandma, which meant we were going back to that facility, yep. i traumatized with that smell that just the mention of that word, assisted living and nursing home, it brings back those memories. And not every assisted living facility or nursing home smells. I've been to several that smell great, but there is that trauma so I'm glad right? that you're kind of mentioning this in our oh, yeah. in our segment.
1: And I, I have been to those all over Houston. And in the Houston, greater Houston area, I've been to them. And i tell you, repeatedly, the ones that care for their residents well are the ones that smell good.
2: Well, and that's also to mention, I'll, I'll take a moment here, is that There is money to be made in the industry and there are some people that I have not run into personally, but there's a lot of people that don't have the financial resources to pay for the level of care that is respectable. I'll use that word. Oh,
1: yeah. It's absolutely true. And
2: they will collect the Social Security check and pile as many people into a house that are and if the house is not licensed, the people that are working there are not providing the care. They're not licensed themselves. They're feeding them TV dinners. And yep. it's a hodgepodge of things that you don't want to be involved with or that oh, you would want yeah. your loved one to be in that environment.
0: Thank you so much for taking an interest in this episode. I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to provide these free resources for you. I wanna thank Heather once again for volunteering her time and sharing with us the different types of DNRs and how EMT is affected by those contracts. Once again, as a disclaimer, we focused our conversation on the regulations and laws for the state of Texas And if you look closely in the description, there is a website link that you can visit to discover what laws and what regulations are in the state that you live in, located in the US. I also wanna encourage you that if you liked what you heard and you found it beneficial, that you would consider subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform that you're listening to it on, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google cast or Spotify at this point I want to ask you for a favor there's probably somebody in your life right now that you haven't talked to in a while I want to ask that you pick up the phone and give that person a call or send them a text message and let them know that you're thinking about them and that you love them you never know when it's all gonna end And I'd hate for you to have to live with the regret of not telling that one last time that you love them and that you care about them. Would you do me that favor? Until our next conversation, I wish you good health and eternal love. Have a beautiful day. You may also want to check out www.homestretch101.com where you'll find links to videos, upcoming guests, and news as it relates to assisted living and nursing homes and how you can navigate through this new chapter that maybe you've either been forced into or that you volunteered
2: for person